Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Good morning if you're here for the first time. We're so glad you're with us today. You know, and to all the dads out there, let me go ahead and say happy Father's Day. You know, we've got some exciting language for all the dads in our passage today, such as breaking pillars into pieces. People thrown into confusion, sending out hornets, multiplying wild beasts, and throwing blood on people. Uh, and Moses goes camping um, for 40 days and 40 nights on a cl- in a cloud on a mountain. And it sounds like a great adventure for all the kids and the dads. Um, now, yes, there is some context to all of this, and we'll get into that in just a second. But just to catch you each up to speed, um, two weeks ago, we restarted our Exodus series uh, and now we're in the second half of Exodus, and we've looked at the Ten Commandments, and then last week we looked at the Mosaic Law, and I've really, I've tried really hard <laughs> to, sell you on our, to sell you on our series by telling you that this part of Exodus is where everyone falls asleep because of all these random Mosaic Laws, uh, and people often uh, just kind of throw their hands up and not really know what to do with them, uh, but not our passage today. You know, I hope uh, the past two weeks looking at God's law have been encouraging just as a general overview of how to think about God's law. But this week, uh, God switches gears on Moses and he preps him and his people for a wild task ahead of him. You know, if you remember, uh, God's people are camping at the bottom of Mount Sinai and God is speaking to Moses. He's giving very detailed instructions, which is where the Ten Commandments come in. Uh, the kind of, and then we see those three chapters of house rules, so to speak, like we saw last week of those Mosaic laws uh, that were intended to bless uh, people, to, to help them love God and to love each other. And then this week, at the end of chapter 23, in the beginning of chapter 24 of Exodus, we get a picture of a great promise and the confirmation of that promise. And in it, we see a picture into this wild task. That's an adventure that's ahead of them. Uh, and maybe it seems kind of like an odd placement following all the the rules and the laws that we saw last week. Uh, You know, all those laws and rules, they don't typically kind of get people geared up for battle. Uh, But but that was the precursor to God's game plan. I know a few few weeks ago, I I told you, you know, our family watched The Sound of Music. It was great. You know, our whole family uh, loved it. We all, uh, I saw it as a whole new lens from when I was a kid. And after that, you know, I, I thought this would be kind of a fun summer for all of our uh, for our kids uh, to kind of get up to speed on all the classics that we watched growing up. And one of those great classics that I got excited to watch again was The Little Giants, okay? I love The Little Giants. It was one of my favorites growing up. And in that movie, if you're familiar with it, uh, it's a handful of kind of misfit middle school kids that didn't get picked for their peewee football team. And the entire movie uh, are these kids that didn't get picked uh, for the original team. And then they all kind of joined together and they challenged the team that they didn't get picked for. uh, And they kind of to to, to represent uh, their their small town in a peewee football league. Maybe you remember some of these kids, right? There's, kind of the, uh, there's one kid that has the PB&J uh, stuck in his helmet. Uh, when he gets tackled, he takes it out and eats it. There's a kid with, the, uh, with all the allergies, Jake Berman. He kind of comes with a bubble out of his nose. He goes in and pops it, and then he comes up to practice kind of wrapped in foam. Um, then there's Briggs, uh, the kid that can't really catch a pass to save his life. And then there's Becky, the coach's daughter, um, who was the best one on the team, uh, but she didn't get picked because she was a girl. And then as the movie goes on, there's, you know, there's Junior, the good-looking quarterback that comes in, uh, and then there's Spike. Do you remember him? 
Right? He was like the guy that his dad puts his arm on the refrigerator and he kind of does pull-ups while he's there. He's kind of like this man-child in, in middle school. And if you haven't seen the movie, um, I hate to ruin it for you now, but it's, uh, you're about 20 years late to this party, so it's your fault and not mine. Uh, but as soon as Spike gets put, puts on the team and Becky decides to cheer for the game and not play, and then Junior gets hurt uh, by a dirty play from Spike uh, in the first half, let's just say going into halftime, the, the game is as good as over. And all the kids, they want to quit. They want to throw in the towel, and they want to say, they say the game is over. And then their coach, Danny O'Shea, the little giant, the, the coach of the misfit little giants, he's, and he was always kind of in the shadow of his big brother who was the coach for the other team. And he comes in and gives a very, you know, he knows very little about football, but he gives a compelling halftime speech, and the kids get all fired up. And they go in the second half, uh, and then Becky, she kind of stops cheering. She decides to join the team. Uh, then they run uh, this great play called the Annexation of Puerto Rico. Remember that play? Annexation of Puerto Rico. Great play. Uh, and the Little Giants uh, win the game. And me and my kids, uh, we're all fired up watching the game, and we are ready to take on the world. And in some ways, our passage today is that halftime talk. You know, if you remember the halftime talk, if you remember this halftime talk that went, was going on during the Little Giants, What's kind of funny about it is what inspired the team was that he told story after story of where he lost 99 times to his big brother Kevin in a race growing up. But there was that one time. There was that one time uh, when he won. And this is that one time for the little giants when they have an opportunity to win. They may not win every game, but they have one chance. And the chance for them to win, and it was 1-99 in so to speak, but they still had a chance. Except this halftime talk that we see here in Exodus, in Exodus 23 and 24, it has a promise behind it from God that if they do everything is planned, there's a 100% success rate. Not 1 in 100, not 50-50, not 90%, 100% guaranteed success if they follow the plan. Now, after God gives them the law on Mount Sinai, he gives them a promise, he makes a covenant, kind of like a pact, and then he confirms this promise, and he confirms the promise, uh, this promise. And as he confirms this promise, God's people are led into worship, and they're filled with hope for the days ahead, which leads us to our main idea. God's promises for, provide hope for God's people. And today, we see uh, God make a bunch of remarkable and incredible promises, kind of in our halftime talk in Exodus uh, but I want to put this out there because if we're not careful today, it can sound like the prosperity gospel, uh, where if we obey and follow the Lord, God will bless us, which is exactly what God said to Israel in our passage. Uh, but we need to be clear and careful here because these promises were for a specific people at a specific time. This was God's halftime talk for Israel on Mount Sinai before they were going into the land of Cana. And it's not for New City Church in Tampa, Florida in 2020, okay? However, although they're not for, all of us, they're not for us today, as we'll see towards the end of our time, we have a new and better promise that fuels us and provides hope for us today. And that said, we're gonna, this is how we're going to divide our time. We've got three turns. Number one, God's promise to Israel. Number two, God's promise to Israel confirmed. And number three, God's new promise. And that's our simple outline for today. And if you're not familiar with what I mean when I say Israel, uh, simply put, this is just God's chosen people. The people that God spoke to, that he loved and revealed himself to, uh, that, he, uh, that, for, that God freed from Egypt. And before we dive into our text, my hope for today is that you would be incredibly spurred on and also that you would put at ease by the promises of God, just as a reminder to renew our mind with the truth of God's word. 
Because if God's promises are not true, and if he doesn't keep his promises, he's not worthy of our worship and trust. And the weight of this world, it can seem crushing at times. But if, if God keeps his promises, and if he is a promise keeper, like he says he is in in God's word, and what he says is true, then brothers and sisters, we can fear not, we can fret not, we can worry not, and we can be filled with everlasting joy. We have eternal promises. And so I don't say this lightly. We've got something indescribably incredible. It's an all inspi- this is all inspiring. We have a remarkable treasure through Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here today or listening or watching, I hope that you'll see today that being a Christian is certainly not boring and it is not stale. In fact, following the Lord, it takes courage and it takes risk. Following the Lord will take you down a path that won't be easy, and it, but, it will, but it will be an adventure, and it will be worth every step, and it's filled with purpose and hope, and it's filled with remarkable promises, uh, and that's where we're going today. And so let's go ahead and get into our text and look at chapters 23 and Exodus, verses 20 to 23. Um, if you remember from last week, our, our last verse, the verse right before this section that we're getting into, right before our halftime talk, uh, we've got that, my, one of my favorite coffee cup verses uh, it says to, you know, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So that's kind of our coffee cup verse that we saw at the end of last week. And this week we've got our great halftime speech. Uh, look, at, look, at chapter, uh, 20, look at chapter 23, verse 20. This is what it says. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for, we, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So just real quick here on these few verses, just so we understand what's going on uh, and to rephrase this for us. You know, as we said, God just gave us a bunch of rules and laws, and now he's saying, hey, I've got an angel, <laughs> which kind of made me think of angels in the outfield for that movie series, but we'll get to that later maybe. Um, you need to listen. Hey, you need to listen to this angel. You need to obey him. Don't rebel against him and you're good to go. Which if you ask me, uh, that would grab my attention with all sorts of questions about angels. Like, uh, does he have a baby face or with wings? Maybe there's a harp. Are they sitting on clouds? Uh, or maybe is there like a light shining behind this angel? Uh, you know, God doesn't answer that for them. He didn't seem too worried that they wouldn't be able to recognize this angel. He just says, if they listen and obey this angel, as well as what God told them in the law, you know, God said in verse 22, he will be, God will be an enemy to their enemies and an adversary to their adversaries. In other words, God's got their back. If someone messes with God's people, uh, they're going to have to deal with God. And so God is basically saying, hey, I'm going to be your bodyguard. You just need to listen to me, which I, which I think would be very reassuring. Because remember, these people, all that they've just been through, they, God just brought down uh, 10 plagues on Egypt. He parted the Red Sea and he destroyed an entire army in the sea. And so let's just say God's got a good track record for his people. And then, you know, he's got a, uh, he's got a, he's got, as we'll see in a minute, he's got something else up his sleeve. But before we get into that, I want to address this angel in the story. You know, if you're interested, you could kind of chase this down later with all the different viewpoints on who this angel is. There's, there's five different traditional thoughts, people who said it is. Maybe it's the glory cloud for Israel. Maybe it's just a metaphor. Uh, maybe it's a Joshua, or maybe it's like an actual angel like Gabriel, um, or maybe it's a, the pre-incarnate Christ. But in all reality, we don't really know who it is. Nobody really knows. It doesn't say. But this angel is not the main character of this story. God is. But what we do know about this angel is that this angel probably wasn't what we'd see uh, in the show Touched by an Angel. 
It probably wasn't what we would see in Angels in the Outfield or any other Hollywood portrayal of angels that have wings and harps and sit on clouds. No, this angel was a wartime angel. It was a warrior angel that protected and guarded and guided, and it spoke God's word. There's so much to say here about angels, uh, but this angel isn't the focus of the story. And so I want to keep moving and see these promises that God makes. Uh, I want to read through the next 11 verses, and I want you to notice all the wills and shalls. Uh, uh, these are the promises that God makes to his people at this time in history. Look, look, starting in verse 23. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the peoples against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites from from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Seeing our first point, number one, God's promise, promises to Israel. God's promise to Israel. You know, so this is part one of our halftime talk. You know, just as a quick recap of what we just read, he says they shall not bow down and serve other gods, uh, nor do as they do. And I love this. He says, but you shall, but he says, but God says, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. And so we just see that God's not playing around. He's ready to go to battle. And then listen to these again. He said to them, you serve the Lord, and then he will bless your bread and water. There'll be no more sickness, no more miscarriages or barren land. He will fulfill the number of their days. In essence, he's saying they're going to live a long and happy life. I mean, it seems like a pretty good deal to me. And then he goes back into more battle language, saying uh, he's going to send his terror. He's going to confuse the enemy. He's going to drive out the enemy with hornets. Now, you know good and well that's going to work, okay? Uh, Because you and I both know if we see a little bee flying around, we start to panic, or at least I do at times. You know, anybody out there know what I'm talking about? Okay, just making sure, just making sure you're awake. And we see, we see, we see a bee, and we start to scream. Now, I just think it's kind of funny that we said God said He would use hornets to win the battle uh, and to clear the land for them, that they will get their land and life will be good. But then later in Joshua 24, 12, in the book of Joshua, we kind of see all this kind of coming to fruition. God confirmed that He did it. God promised them victory. God promised that he would go before them and that if they obeyed, that they would be blessed. And for us today, uh, we don't have any promises from God for us to take over any specific land. Like, uh, we're not going to try to take over any land here in Tampa. Um, That's against the law and you might go to jail. We also don't have a promise that our physical bread and water will be blessed Uh, And unfortunately, we painfully know that sickness and miscarriages and barren lands and early deaths still happen, and it greatly grieves us. And as we said, many of these specific promises, they're not for us, and we'll get into this more later, but for what we do know for us today, that in this life, God knows our specific battles. 
He knows what's ahead of us, and he has, and he will go before us. Hear this today, Christian. God knows all things, past, present, and future. He knows exactly what we need. I don't know what weight you brought in today. I don't know what sin struggle you're wrestling with. I don't know what relational void or problem you've got today. And I don't know what you're worried or anxious about, but hear this. God knows. (laughs) And he knows exactly what you need. For the people of Israel, can you imagine just this daunting task that this would have felt like without God? I mean, we think the little giants had their backs against the wall, but just think about an untrained Israel trying to conquer an unknown land. And it was them, their farm animals, and all their kids uh, that were with them. And also remember, they had, uh, they had been through a long season of wandering without a permanent home. And right now, they're just kind of camping temporarily on, at this mountain. But Israel knew that God was on their side. They had seen God do it in the past. God had made a promise to them for the future. And we now know, when you read this book, the book of Joshua, which is one of my favorite Old Testament books, They later conquer this land. God went to battle for them time and time and time again. When God had a plan and when God has a plan and a purpose, it will not be thwarted because God is a victorious warrior. And all of this, what God made very clear was was that these battles would be won by God and they would not be won by his people. His people didn't have a fighting chance. It would be God that would be the hero. God would be the one that would get all the glory. God would be the great conqueror. So let me just ask you quickly today. Again, what battles are before you? What sin struggles are you fighting? What's consuming your mind? What ministry is ahead of you? What is it that you believe God is calling you to do with it seems like crazy, ridiculous task that is full of risk? Hear me on this. I'm not saying we throw wisdom out the door. No, that's foolish and against God. But let this be a reminder for us today that from the beginning of time, God has always supplied what his people have needed for what God calls them to do. It may not be how we want it to go or in the way we think it should go or at the pace we'd like it to go, but God always goes before his people. We're not promised that he's going to bless our bread and water. We're not promised uh, that, he, uh, that we won't get sick. We're not promised that the land won't be barren and that it won't be painful and difficult. And we're also not promised uh, victory in the way in which we think we should see victory. But God's word is clear. God goes before his people. He protects his people. And God is a valiant warrior that is ready to go to battle for his people. But be warned and reminded, it does come with a call to listen and obey the Lord and to let him guide us. These promises that were made to Israel come with an understanding that they're listening and being guided by God. It was a prerequisite for the task. So brothers and sisters, lean into the Lord. Search out his ways. Follow him. And take note from this passage, it was God who made the plan. This was God's dream and vision given to his people. It wasn't Moses' dream and vision. It wasn't from his people. It came from God. We follow the Lord in his ways. We don't ask him to bless our ways. We're going to come back to this idea, but I want to keep moving here and look at chapter 24, verses 1 to 3, to see what God continues to say. Verse 1, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the, the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. There are a few things that I want to uh, take note of. Notice that he asked them to come up to God. 
God wanted them to walk up the mountain and worship. And as soon as they heard from God, they were led to worship. But he wanted them to worship from afar. They couldn't get close to him, except for Moses. Moses could come near. And in doing so, they were fired up, believing in in themselves that they could do this. And they all said together, "All uh, all the words you've said, we will do. This is kind of like after the the halftime talk. They're all kind of cheering and screaming, and they're ready to charge the hill. They've got the great promise. They've got the play. They've got the Ten Commandments. They've got the 91 verses of the Mosaic Law, and they're ready to go. They're ready to obey. Look at verse 4, which gets to our second point. Seeing them seal the deal and confirm the promise. Maybe we could say this is kind of like the huddle before they take the field. I don't know. Look at verse 4. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basin and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And he said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief man of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Which leads us to our second point. Number two, God's promise to Israel confirmed. God show, so God showed Israel the reward. He showed them the trophy of all the promises that they'll get the land. They'll get the new territory of the land of Canaan with great health and wealth and prosperity. Again, these are for Israel, not for us. But he painted the picture of the reward. and He kind of gave them the playbook with a certified guarantee of success. Obey God's law and voice, and victory was theirs. And everyone cheers. And life is good. And now they're confirming the promise. They're confirming the covenant. You know, I said um, earlier, this is kind of like the huddle maybe before they take the field, but really this is probably more accurately like a wedding ceremony. When a husband and a wife make vows, they make a covenant with each other to love each other for better or for worse, uh, in rich and in poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. It's great, right? I love weddings. They're always fun, right? You get dressed up. Uh, me and Kelly, you know, we love weddings. You, you kind of hear the wedding vows from people. You're kind of reminded of our wedding. Uh, then we get dinner and a celebration, a little dancing. We, we love it. I pray for lots of healthy, uh, lifelong New City uh, marriages for the New City folks. But again, at weddings, the ceremony and the vows are the confirmation of the declaration of the marriage covenant. And what we just read was similar. Uh, it's a ceremony to confirm God's promise to them. And before the ceremony that we just read about, Moses wrote everything down, and God said he got, got up early. It says he went to build an altar and, and, and 12 pillars, and he got all of the young men, and he sent them, a, a, he got a few oxen to sacrifice, and he took half of the blood of the sacrificed ox, and he uh, put it in the basin, which is basically like a bowl to hold the blood, and he threw the other half of the blood on the altar. And then Moses takes everything he wrote down, which is now called the Book of the Covenant, uh, and he reads it to the people, and he takes the blood from the sacrificed ox, and he throws the blood on the people. Now, I'm no wedding planner, um, but maybe some good ideas here for the next New City wedding. I don't know. 
Um, just a thought, right? Your guests might really love that. But I love what happens next. After they were covered by the blood of the ox, they went up to see the glory of God. They were standing on a stone and they got a glimpse of heaven. They saw the glory of God and then they had a meal. It says they beheld God. And they ate and they drank and they saw God in his glory and they, and, they, and they feasted. And then just to finish our text for today, this is what happens next. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablet of stone with the law and the commandments, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go up to them. Go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, up on the mountain, and the, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire, fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Again, God called Moses up the mountain to get the tablet of stone with the commandments that he wanted to give them. And Moses, he kind of wakes up his assistant, Joshua, and he told the elders to stay there and wait. And then Moses went up the mountain where the glory of God covered the mountain for six days. And on the seventh day, uh, God called Moses out of the mountain. And then on verse 17, just to say it again, it says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And then Moses went back up to stay on the mountain for 40 days. And so this is how God confirmed uh, his covenant with his people. He called them to worship. He read God's word to them. He covered them with the blood of the sacrifice. They entered into his presence. They feasted, ate, and drank, and witnessed the glory and the power and the, and the majesty of God. They worshiped. This is one of the first, very first worship services we see in Scripture. This was God's way of confirming his promise to the people of Israel. They had a great promise, and God told them, and he visibly showed them, and, they dis and he displayed to them that he would keep his promises. As we know about covenants, covenants are they're a two-way street. There's, there's two parts, there's two parties that are making a promise to each other. God made his promise that he would keep his end of the deal, and then uh, God's people made a promise that they would keep their end of the deal by obeying God, by obeying all that God had said. It was a beautiful sight. It was an awe-inspiring ceremony. God showed his power and his love and his glory and his wonder, and God gave them a glimpse of heaven. It was, it was one of those services, those worship services to remember. It says that they saw God and they feasted. And they saw his awe-inspiring majesty and his grandness on top of that mountain. And that's where our passage ends. The promise made and the promise confirmed. With Moses still up on that mountain hearing from God. But although our passage ends there, the story does not end there. You know, we, know, we now know and see it didn't take long for God's people to break their end of the deal. They were they were fired up. They were ready to obey. They saw the reward. They beheld God's glory. They were given the promise. The promise was confirmed, but unfortunately, they failed very quickly. They, they disobeyed God almost immediately. In fact, when you continue reading in chapters 25 to 31, the next seven chapters is still God speaking to Moses on the mountain, which we're going to look at over the next few weeks. But then in chapter 32, 
the very next thing we see in the Bible with God's people is their disobedience. I mean, Moses doesn't even make it down the mountain before they mess this thing up. They get impatient, restless, and they immediately doubt God because they had to wait a little bit. Anybody ever been there? I mean, it's like you tell someone, hey, you see that button right there? Don't touch that button. What do they do? They touch the button. You know, but the covenant, it was immediately broken, and we see God get angry, and we see Moses plead with God to sacrifice for their sins. And we'll see this more in a few weeks, but God says, whoever has sinned against me, he says, I will blot out of my book. And then we see God show an act of grace by telling Moses to lead uh, that he, to, to still lead his people to the place that he told them about, that the angel will still go before them. And then God sent a plague on the people because of their idolatry and disobedience, and then God made an, had to make another covenant because the first one, it was already broken. And as you can kind of continue to read through the story, when you get to the book of Joshua, you see that God gave the land that he promised. But, but throughout the Old Testament, the covenant, it was regularly and it was repeatedly broken And it's not because of God, but it's because of humanity and the nature of sin. It's not God's fault. It's the people's fault. It's because of the sin in the hearts of people. Because every single person on this planet, including you and me, in some way, disobey God. We disobey the commandments of God. We worship things other than God. We lie, we steal, we cheat, we covet. And the list goes on. There's not a single person on this planet who can perfectly obey God. God has held his part of the deal with us, but all we do and what we continually do today is we daily break our part of the deal, day in and day out, you and me and everybody around us. We all often break our end of the covenant with God, just like Israel said, we will obey. (laughs) And then immediately we disobey. The same is true for us. God has made a promise for us, but we can't uphold our end of the deal. (laughs) New City Church, we need help. We need help. And the good news of the gospel that we cherish so desperately here is that we couldn't uphold our end of the deal, and so God sent someone else who could. God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to uphold our end of the covenant. Jesus Christ was the only person to ever walk this planet that could perfectly uphold our end of the deal. And the good news of the gospel tells us that he took our place in our deal, in our end of the deal. He upheld it for us by living the life that we could not live and by going to the cross and taking the punishment that we deserve. And then in turn, we get his reward. And with this, he's given us a new covenant. He's given us a new promise, which leads us to our last point for today. Number three, God's new promise. And just like the first covenant that was confirmed by the blood of the sacrifice of an ox covering God's people, the new covenant that we as Christians hold to today was also confirmed by the blood of a sacrifice. Except except this time it wasn't an ox or a bull or a goat. It was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. In New City Church, through the blood of Jesus, we are given a new promise and a new covenant. It's confirmed and established by the blood shed on the cross. And just like we saw in Exodus... When we're covered by the blood of the sacrifice, which for us today is Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when we believe in Jesus, believing that he lived, died, and rose from the grave, just like God's people did in Exodus, we can then enter into God's presence and we can feast and celebrate with our Lord and we can worship the Lord. New City Church, we have a new promise. 
We have a new covenant between us and God, but this covenant we can keep, and it's not because of us, but it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of the gospel. We couldn't do it, but Jesus did it for us. Just like Israel, we are powerless to obey. We are quick to doubt and forget and turn to idols. But God's new covenant and his new promise, we enter into it not based on our own merit and ability to obey. We enter into it based off of Jesus' merit and ability to, to obey. Our only part in the covenant, our only prerequisite for this new covenant is that we come to Jesus and believe in him. We come as messy and broken, confused people, and we place our faith and trust in Jesus, and that's it. It's that simple. If you're here today or maybe watching online and you have not done that, I plead with you to do that today. Believe that Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave, that he has taken away your sins. It is a free gift from God. Take it and receive it, and God's new promises are given to you. But beware, this new covenant is not like the first covenant. The first covenant, it promised health, wealth, and prosperity, where this new covenant doesn't promise that for us today. This new covenant promises something different. It promises everlasting life. It promises us intimacy with God of the universe. It promises us nearness to God. The first covenant promised prosperity, but God's nearness was at stake. But in the new covenant, God promised us Promises is, is our, he promises our nearness to him where our health, wealth, and prosperity are at stake. Because when Jesus calls us, he calls us to lay down our life. He calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. In the first covenant, Israel was promised prosperity. In our new covenant today, Jesus' followers are promised a cross to follow. But may we not forget that through the bloody cross of Christ, we find God's nearness and his warmth and his intimacy and a relationship with our everlasting God. In fact, it's better. <laughs> and our halftime speech for today as followers of Christ is not Exodus 23 and 24. Our halftime speech today is seeing God's promises in Romans 8. that tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have no condemnation. Your sins are paid in full. We don't have to live in guilt or sorrow or worry. We can enter into God's presence and be with him and know him. I don't know what sin you came in with weighing you down, but the blood of Jesus covers us and purifies us eternally and forever. In Romans 8, we see that we have the Spirit of God who empowers us, who gives us life and peace. Christian, hear this today. Whatever sin you struggle with, whatever battle you're facing, whatever daunting task God is calling you to do, the Spirit of God is with you. Your victorious warrior is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The same God that went to battle for Israel is literally living inside of you. To say that there's some sin struggle we can't overcome is to give up on the power in the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, keep fighting. Keep fighting. This was such a good reminder for me this Week. If you remember, we, we read in Exodus chapter 23, verses 29 and 30, and God said that he wouldn't drive them out in a year, but that he would do it little by little, that it would be a long, slow process. We often get impatient, right? We often want immediate transformation. We often want immediate victory, <laughs> but it often happens little by little. It's often a long, slow process. 
And as we th- see throughout the book of Exodus, some battles are won overnight and some are long and slow. But whatever battles you're facing, whatever sin struggle you're fighting, whatever task is ahead of you, take heart today from God's word. It may be slow, but the spirit of God was given to you to help you. We have a promise from God's word, as we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 several weeks ago, that God is transforming us. Take heart, Christian, because the same God that sent hornets, the same God that made the sun stand still and parted the Red Sea and crushed a thousand horsemen in their chariots is literally living inside of you and has promised you that he will never leave you or forsake you. And we're not some far off people to him that he has to keep at a distance like he did in Exodus. He doesn't ask us to come up to him like he did with Moses. No, he came down to us. He comes down in our mess, in our brokenness, and he sits with us in it. In fact, we know from Romans 8 that he has adopted us as his children, and he invites us to cry out to him, Abba, Father, as our Father. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I'm a dad here on Father's Day. And let me tell you, I would do anything for my kids to fight, to fight for them. Anything. And that same love that I have for my kids as their dad, our God is infinitely, our God has infinitely more for us. Romans 8 tells us that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Yeah, here on, here on Father's Day, we celebrate dads and fathers, but let it be a reminder to look to God the Father who has adopted each and every single one of us who claim Christ as his children. Dads, today. Our primary job is not to dominate at work so we can provide health, wealth, and prosperity. Our job is not to promise that nothing bad will ever happen. Yes, yes, absolutely. We lead, we guide, we protect, we provide. But our primary and ultimate job as dad is to point our kids to their better father, to their better dad, to their God, the father, who will never fail them, who will always keep his promises. Because do you know what the better father does for us, for our kids and for our families? He prays for us. He prays for our kids. He prays without ceasing. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit of God right now is interceding for us, that the Spirit of God is praying for us with groanings too deep for words, is what he says. You know what God's Word also tells us? That Jesus Christ is sitting next to God the Father, and he is also praying for us. In Exodus, Moses was the one mediator between God and man. But now, in the New Covenant, our mediator is Jesus Christ. It's God himself. We have a better mediator that pleads to God for us on our behalf. And in the very end of Romans 8, in Romans 8, 31, knowing all of these remarkable promises in hand, the Apostle Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us graciously give us all things? New City Church, what a promise. Our promise is that we are joined with Christ. And in Christ, we have all things. Like how in the world is that true? Because, well, Christ has all things. We're joined to him. Now, I'm not saying he gives us whatever we want, but he does give us whatever he wants. Again, it's not a promise for health, wealth, and prosperity. It's a promise to be joined to the glory of God, who is our victorious warrior. 
who as Colossians tells us, has all things, holds all things, sees all things, knows all things, and is over all things. I don't know about you, but this should give us incredible confidence. In the first covenant, God by his power made his people conquerors when they conquered the land. And in the new covenant with Jesus in Romans 8.37, God's word tells us we are more than that. His word tells us we are more than conquerors. And it's not because of us or what we do, but it's because we're joined to Jesus and we're considered his beloved. Jesus is more than a conqueror. And because we're joined to him and inside of him and carried and held and living with him, we get his reward and his identity. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Jesus, right now we have all things. It's already given to you in Christ. We need nothing else. We have everything in Christ Jesus. And I pray that we as a church would be satisfied with that today. And you know what that means for us? No matter what we do, no matter what we attempt for the Lord, no matter what we're fighting for, God looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and sit and feast with me. Come and gaze upon the glory of God. Come and take a look at a picture of heaven. He says, I'm proud of you, son. He says, I'm proud of you, daughter. (laughs) Come and rest and sit in my kingdom. New City Church, our battles have already been won by our victorious warrior, and he confirmed that at the cross. Our job today is to simply follow and obey and listen to his plans for us. We don't ask God to bless our plans. We can take confidence that his plans for us are already blessed. Acts 5, 38 and 39 tells us, if our undertakings are from man, they will fail. But if they're from God, it can't be stopped. New City Church, may we be a people that do as God said in Exodus 23 and 24 that follows the Lord, that listens to his guidance and trusts in his victories and not our own. Brothers and sisters, what a great promise. What a great promise. God's promises, they give us hope and confidence. Amen. So we're going to end our time today. Uh, We're going to move into a time of communion. I want to go ahead and call the, the, the band, the worship team up and while they're on their way up, I want to set up, kind of, I want to set up communion for us. You, you might find the, the cups underneath your chair. But I want to address three different groups of people today, okay, as we're setting this up. First, if you have not trusted in Christ, we would ask that you not partake with us today. God's Word has made it very clear that communion is for those who have trusted in Jesus. And use this as an opportunity to see what you're passing over. Because through it, we're remembering that the blood of Jesus has taken our sins, that we are joined with Christ. It's an outward display of the gospel, where the bread is the the body of Christ broken for us, and the juice is the blood of Christ shed for us. And if you've not trusted in Christ as your Savior, we would ask that you not join with us today. And then secondly, the second group of people to the person who was not a Christian before you walked in today, but now you want, maybe now today you want to trust in Christ. You believe that God has done everything necessary to save you at the cross, and you now want a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, we would, we would want you to join and celebrate with us today for the very first time as a declaration of your new faith. And then tell someone, tell me, or tell someone else here at New City. And then the third group, if you have those who have put your faith in Christ, Let this be an opportunity to kind of look back at the cross and then to also look forward. Look back at the cross and to praise the Lord for his work on the cross, for this new covenant, for dying for you and for for us and for the coming and living inside of us, for coming to call you his son and his daughter and his own and his beloved child. And as a chance to look forward, secondly, 
to the great future promise and even better promise that we saw in our passage today where, the, where there will be a feast with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Where there'll be no more pain, <laughs> no more tears or death, and we will be able to behold God forever and ever and ever. You know, after this, after this song, we're gonna, I'm going to come back up and we're going to take communion together. But now let's, uh, let's pray and let's sing and reflect on all uh, that God has done. Father, we love you. Father, you came for us to give us a new promise and a new hope. And Father, we pray that we would celebrate that today. That we would remember all that you've done for us and that we would look ahead. That we would, in this moment, that we would reflect on the glory of the cross. And look ahead to the the marriage supper of the Lamb. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.